Now, <clears throat> a few years ago, the Huffington Post, uh, that guardian of liberal news, uh, asked a number of famous people uh, what Christmas means to them. That was the question. What does Christmas mean to you? Here is what a few of them said. Uh, Richard Dawkins uh, said, I'm happy to live in a Christian country and its Christian culture. Uh, Christmas to me means to me means the same to me as watching a nice English village cricket match. So for Dawkins, Christmas is about culture. Uh, the fiction writer Philip Pullman said, Christmas means family, mostly, children, grandchildren, presents, and food, and drink. So for him, it's family and uh, uh, a bit of drink. Uh, the TV presenter Dan Snow said, Christmas means a break, a time when emails dry up, Phones stop ringing and you can focus on your family. So for him, uh, just taking a break from work uh, is a big feature of how he thinks about Christmas. And my guess is that if you ask uh, people in your life, your family and friends, you are likely to get the same answers. We are likely to tell you that Christmas is a tradition of spending time uh, with our families, enjoying dinner, uh, exchanging presents, uh, and of course taking time uh, off work. Now, as I said last week, there is... Nothing to say wrong with these things. Some of them may be a bit excessive and they're therefore sinful, but none of them in any of themselves are necessarily a bad thing. It's good to take time from work. But Christmas is infinitely more than that. We said last week that Christmas, we should think of Christmas as a welcome party for God. Christmas is a time when we celebrate that God the Son came into this world in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was born as a human being, as one of us, to be with us forever. And I think we need to be reminded of that truth because we are living uh, in a very uh, secularized culture. Some have called it a post-Christian culture. And therefore, it's easy for us to forget this wonderful truth. So Christmas actually is an opportunity for us to be reminded of the coming of Christ in the world. So this Christmas, we are going through the book of Matthew, aren't we? And to remind us why Jesus was born. Last week we looked at chapter 1, uh, verse 18 to verse 25. We learned that Jesus was born to save us from our sins. Jesus is God, our Savior. That's what we learned last week. Today we are looking at the visit of the wise men to worship baby Jesus. We are in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. And the key truth... We are learning today is this. The birth of Jesus is God coming to be our king. The birth of Jesus is God coming to be our king. The God of the Bible created everything out of nothing, isn't it? That's what the first... The book of Genesis tells us, those are the first words of Genesis, reminds us that God created everything out of nothing. Uh, when we hear a loud noise in the house, sometimes we ask, who's that? Or who did that? Right? We, we do that. Well, in the same way, this world, uh, with its stars, uh, its mountains, its ocean life, its sandy beaches, its green valleys, and, and its people, its civilization, it forces us to ask every day, doesn't it? Who did that? Who did that? The Bible introduces us 
to a person who did that. God our maker did that. And because God did that, because God owns everything, is Lord and King over everything he has made. There's a sense in which the whole world is the kingdom of God because he's king over it. But the Bible tells us that all of us have rebelled against God, our king. Right? Our rebellion against God started in the Garden of Eden. Right? Uh, Our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. They didn't want God to be their king. That's essentially what the rebellion of Adam and Eve was. We were like, we want to be kings and queens as it were. We don't want you to be the king over the world. And the result is that God evicted them from his kingdom. The result is that all of us now, their descendants, are born into this world outside the kingdom of God. Right? Outside the fullness and the glory of his kingdom. And therefore, as a result of that, all of us now are automatically heading to suffer eternal punishment in hell. God won't stand for human treason. He won't stand for our rebellion against him. So he has sentenced us to everlasting punishment in hell forever. Hell is the default destination of every human being in this world. But the good news of the Bible is that God is not happy that we are headed to hell. Right? He's not happy that creatures that he loves are are now outside his kingdom. So God has a plan to bring us back into his kingdom. And in the Bible, this plan of God starts with the call of Abraham, isn't it? The call of Abraham. When God calls Abraham, right? He calls him to be the vehicle through which God will come himself to rule us. In the Old Testament, uh, we see God working through Abraham's descendants, Israel, right? Uh, with many twists and turns. And as we read through the book of the Bible, we see that God throughout is preparing them for the for his coming into this world. When we started, for those who were here, when we started Judges, we said that as we look at all the, um, well, all the 12 judges, apart from the anti-judge, Abimelech, all of them were a picture of God's future king, when God himself will come to be the perfect judge and ruler over the world. And the good news is of Christmas is that God has fulfilled his promise, Right? The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is God himself coming into this world to be our king. And that is especially what the story of the wise men is teaching us. So please look with me there at verse 1 of Matthew 2. Let's just walk through this story of the wise men. Now, the first thing you should notice here is that it's been two years, at least, since Jesus was born. So between now and the same one last week, it's been around two years. Okay? Since chapter one. And baby Jesus is still living in Bethlehem. The people of God, Israel, are now being ruled by the Romans, right? They are being ruled by the Romans. And they have installed a puppet king, Herod, 
In fact, he's not Jewish. Herod is Edomite. And therefore, the people don't like him. He's very brutal. He's a brutal tyrant. We'll, we'll see some of that next week as we look at the slaughter of the infants. So Herod is in church. Now, while Jesus is in Bethlehem, our narrator Matthew tells us something amazing is happening in the capital city of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. Look at this one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, this is Herod the Great, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Let's just pause there. What is happening is a strange caravan has come to Jerusalem. It is carrying the wise men. Sometimes they are called the Magi, right? Now, we don't really know much about them. Uh, we don't even know how many they were. <laughs> and there were certainly, we don't even know if they were kings. Um, you know, usually we see them as three, and sometimes they are called kings. We don't know any of that. The Bible doesn't tell us, right? Uh, we don't even know where they've come from, but the best guess is that they have come from Babylon, or perhaps even further beyond Babylon. They've come a long way. Whatever they've come from, they are braving it and danger, right? And we imagine they have come in typical, if they're coming from Babylon, they have come in typical Persian pomp, right? It's a bit of a party even as they come to see Jesus. So the question is, why have these travelers traveled so far? Breathing heat and danger. Well, they have a burden on their heart to see baby Jesus. Look at this too. Now, after Jesus was born in the Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The wise men are asking, Where is baby Jesus? Where is the newborn king? Now, you need to think about that because that is actually a very dangerous question to ask. It is a dangerous question because why is it dangerous? Because they are asking for a new king when we've already been taught there is already a king in Israel and his name is Herod the Great. What they are doing is a bit like imagine you and your friends go to Beijing, China, and you start asking people in China, We have heard you have a new president now. We hear he will be the best president in the world. Uh, and it's going to even be better than President Xi Jinping, right? And we've come now to work for this man, not the Chinese Communist Party. How long do you think he would last? It won't take long, isn't it, for you to disappear from the street. And this is sim- therefore, you can understand that this is similar to what the wise men are risking here, because Herod as we'll see next week, is a brutal dictator. So why are they doing this? It's clearly that these people are wise men, right? So they know that what they're doing is dangerous. So why are they doing it? Why are they asking, if you like, if it was today, why are they doing it all over Twitter? (laughs) Advertising it everywhere. Where is this guy? Where is Jesus? Where is this newborn baby? Want to go there? Why are they being so public? Well, the obvious answer is that the wise men truly believe That Jesus is king. They truly believe that Jesus is God's chosen king and they would rather die than not serve this king. And immediately we should pause here, shouldn't we? Because we're so familiar with these stories. We should pause and ask and think carefully. These wise men 
are showing us what true faith in Jesus is like. True faith believes Jesus is our king and endures dangers and difficulties for King Jesus. Right? That's what true faith is like. When we know Jesus for ourselves, even though something is hard or dangerous, our faith keeps us persevering. It keeps us persevering in face of difficulties. Beloved, is serving Jesus costing you time? Is it costing you money? Have you sacrificed a job for King Jesus? Perhaps you sacrifice a relationship at school? Popularity? Right, a relationship. Or popularity at school. Well, the wise men are encouraging you, aren't they? Your faith in Jesus is costing you a lot because like the faith of these wise men, your faith in Jesus is a true faith. If following Jesus is not costing you anything, is your faith true? Is it? Is it? It's not. If following Jesus is not costing, if you don't feel it, I think there are only two explanations. Either you have seriously backslidden because you who desires to live a godly life shall surely suffer persecution. It is surely in your difficulties. Or your faith isn't real. And in both situations, you must repent urgently. Because the wise men are reminding us here, isn't it? This is what true faith looks like. It risks death, it risks danger. So the, so the wise men are in Jerusalem, and we see here that their visit is shaking the city uh, with rumors of a new king, and the news quickly reaches Herod. Look at this. Three. When Herod the king heard this, he hears about this. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The people are probably just troubled because they think a new king means war. And they're worried how Herod is going to react, so they're troubled. The point is that it's gotten to Herod and he's not happy. Herod has caught the public panic. What is he going to do? <laughs> well, Herod does what all politicians do. If we learned anything from the pandemic, is that what politicians do is they control the events by controlling the information. <laughs> Whoever is in charge of the information is in charge. And so that is what Herod does. Look how he tries to, he, he works to control the information. Let's read verse 3 to 6. When Herod, the king had this, he was troubled and Lord Jerusalem with him. And what does he do? He assembles all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Essentially what the religious experts, these religious leaders, he has assembled, right? What they are saying is this, look, according to our Old Testament, according to our Old Testament, We've looked in the book of Micah, and we are very clear that the, not only is the king coming, but the chosen king will be born in Bethlehem, right? So they have given, they have confirmed it's, it's coming, Jesus, is, Jesus is meant to be born, and they have confirmed where he will be born, it will be in Bethlehem, right? 
And we can imagine that Herod's heart at this moment is racing, isn't it? Racing very fast. He knows there's a strong chance the Messiah has come. So what does he do? He decides to trick the wise men. Let's read on verse 7 to 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men, we are told, secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now we know, of course, just from reading on, that Herod has no intention of worshipping King Jesus. Right? We know that. He wants to use his wise men, if you like, to, 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 to make his war plan. Right? He wants to use his wise men so that he could go and kill baby Jesus and get rid of the threat. And as we think about that, I mean, on one level, it's the most foolish thing that anyone can do. If God is king, then why fight him? You're going to lose. If, God, if Jesus is not God, then what's the point? It's not a threat, right? So this is the foolishness of global leaders, foolishness of any leaders, many ungodly leaders. And at, and, at the same, and at the same time, it's reminding us not just of their foolishness, but it's reminding us that the rulers of this world will always be jealous of Jesus. When they hear us say, Jesus is our king. All the governments of this world tremble at the government of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why everything that governments do, by nature, is to oppose the church of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we shouldn't be surprised that the church is opposed throughout the world, even in our own land. It is a default of any government to silence the church, to make church gathering illegal, to make it hard for us to worship our king, because they recognize that as much as we love the nation, Jesus is our number one, is our king. And every government wants total loyalty to it. But as we shall see in a moment, the kingship of Jesus cannot be thwarted by anyone, not even by the most powerful rulers in the world. That is our comfort as Christians. As soon as the wise men listen to the guidance of these religious leaders and to the trick of Herod, what do they do? They resume their journey to see their true king. Let's read on verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Can we just pause there? Have you noticed something here? There is no mention here that the religious leaders are going with the wise men to Bethlehem to see the newborn king. God has brought these wise men from the east all the way from Babylon as a gracious sign that the promises he made to Abraham are now coming to pass. He's bringing in the Gentiles. Because God himself has entered the world stage. It's an amazing sign. And you expect these people who spend their time in church, who read the Bible, to run to Bethlehem ahead of the wise men. But they don't. There's no mention that they ever go there. They just sit back, watch a movie or something. It's too far. You know, by the way, Bethlehem is not very far. That's the point from Jerusalem. It's a five-mile thing. But for them, it's too, it's too far. The leaders should be excited that the long-awaited king has come. 
But they're not bothered. They're not even bothered to go down the road. So we ask ourselves, what is going on here? Why this apathy? Well, the obvious answer is, they have studied the Bible so much, it has left them cold. This is called dead orthodoxy. The religious leaders are happy to point people to Jesus, to where Jesus is, but they cannot be bothered to go to Jesus themselves. They are cold. Very cold. And beloved, this passage is a warning to all of us here. Especially those who attend church regularly. Especially those who preach the word of God. Especially those who by the nature of their responsibility in the church, they have put it themselves to be knowledgeable in the scriptures. If the word of God you are hearing every Sunday is not melting your heart, it is hardening it. If you come into the church, it's not making you to have that soft, tender conscience we're discussing in the Bible studies of Baruch was, was explaining to us the other day. If it's not giving you that soft, Tenderness, high, high, high level of sensitivity to sin. If you're not trembling more and more at sin, if it's not making you weep more and more about your sin, then it's having the opposite effect. It is making you self-righteous. You're saying, yeah, I know the doctrines of grace. I understand all of these things. I'm very knowledgeable now. You begin to sense less and less your need for repentance. And it's the most saddest thing I've seen as a pastor even in this church. That for some, the more they know the Bible, it seems the more perfect they believe they are now. I must examine myself. My fellow elder must examine himself. All of you must examine yourselves. Because we're sinners, aren't we? We're sinners. And in fact, the more we study the Bible, the more sensitive to our sin we should become. The more we should see our need for Jesus. But these, these, these scribes, these experts, the more they study the Bible, the, the less they felt they needed the, the coming Messiah. So I ask you this morning, are you growing in seeing your need for Jesus, or are you becoming more self-righteous like the chief priests? Do you believe you're a good person now? See, our hearts must be warm to Christ, like the wise men. They know they need Jesus. And so off they go to see his face with the help of God. Let's read on verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. What sort of star is this? That's the first question, right? Did you notice it stopped? And then resumed. What sort of star is this that appears and disappears? Well, we don't know. But we know that it must be a supernatural event. Right? And there's no point for us to be doing some scientific conjecture. This is a star that appears and disappears. It is a God thing, not a natural thing. And what we know is that God has used these stars, 
this star to lead them directly to the newborn king. And their first reaction when they see where the, where, where the star is settled and that they go inside the house to see baby Jesus, what is their first reaction? Their first reaction is, is, is that they fall on their knees and they bow down and worship the king. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. There's no other way to describe what's happening here than this. The wise men have been confronted with the majesty of God robed in human flesh and the glory of Christ has literally, literally forced them to their knees. And we know that the wise men are really worshipping Jesus. You know, there are some people, some commentators, when they look at this passage, they say, well, you know, they are worshipping him, but really they can't really believe that he's, they are worshipping him as God. But beloved, this is why you need, to read the whole Bible. you need to read all of the Gospel of Matthew. Because you know that the Gospel of Matthew is all about worshipping Jesus as King. Because the Gospel of Matthew starts with the worship of Jesus by the wise men. And how does it end? It ends with the disciples worshipping Jesus on the mountains. In chapter 28, verse 17. That's a bookend. It's about worshipping Jesus as God. And we know their worship is true because not only have they sacrificed so much to get here to worship him, but also because of the gifts they have brought to him. They are giving him their treasures. They are opening up their treasures. They are giving, they are emptying their treasures. Look at, let's read on verse 11. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. There's much that we can say about these gifts and what they represent. I'll leave you to investigate that for yourself. But the key point I just want to draw your attention quickly is particularly the quote of Martin Luther. Martin Luther once said, there are three conversions. Three conversions, Martin Luther said. The conversion of the heart, that is God giving us a new heart. The conversion of the mind, God bending our minds, giving us a mind of Christ. And what's the third conversion? That's the one, Brother Frederick. The conversion of the wallet. That's what he said. It's interesting, isn't it? By giving these costly gifts, the wallets of these wise men are agreeing with their hearts and minds that the birth of Jesus is God coming to be our king. These wise men are joyfully surrendering their prized earthly treasures because, you see, they have seen in Jesus a treasure that surpasses all treasures. And this is what Christmas is demanding from all of us, isn't it? God has come in Jesus to be our king. He is offering us citizenship in the kingdom of God. He has come to welcome you into his life. To have you um, as his very own. To, to give you a new life where God loves you. God accepts you. That God truly delights in you. That's what Christ has come to offer us. And he wants you to inherit all his blessings in his kingdom. To have a rock solid assurance that you will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, you and I don't deserve this. We don't deserve this. 
We are rebels against God. And the penalty of our treason is everlasting punishment in hell. But Christmas says to us, Jesus is God who was born as one of us so that he could go to the cross to pay the penalty of our treason against him. Jesus, our King, came to live a life without sin. And when the time came, our King allowed his hands and feet to be nailed to that wooden cross, didn't he? He did that for us, for you and me. And as King Jesus died there on that cross, he carried the whole weight of your sin. Our King took on himself the punishment that you and I deserve. Beloved, have you been watching the news? Have you been watching the news this past week? Our leaders would do anything to survive in their jobs. They are willing to put everyone else under the bus to get to the top. Somebody said recently, so why is it always the ladies that carry the can when these leaders make a mess? Well, it's true, isn't it? It was a lady who was whipping there. I mean, fine, maybe there was an issue about the party in 10 Downing Street. But she was there crying out and she resigned. Our leaders, those who have the responsibility, always remain. I'm not saying they should resign. But the pattern is leaders, political leaders, only care about survival. They walk over everyone to get to the top, and when they're there, they walk over as many people to stay there. Beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ is not like our political leaders. He is the king who sacrifices himself for his citizens. He is the king who came not to, not to be served, but to serve. You know, as a lightning rod on top of a building uh, intercepts lightning strikes, protecting the people beneath, so Jesus is our lightning rod from sin. Our king was willingly struck, as it were, by the lightning of God's judgment on that cross to pay the price for our sin. So that all of his citizens could shelter in him and be forgiven of their sin by God. Jesus is a king who dies for his citizens. This is why he came that first Christmas, isn't it? Jesus came to welcome us into his kingdom. But for you and I to have Jesus as our king, we must surrender to Jesus as the wise men have done. You must say to Jesus, right now, you are number one in my life. A Christian, what is a Christian? A Christian is a person who says to Jesus, you are my number one. You must say to Jesus, I accept I am not in your kingdom. I want you to forgive me. Because you died for me on the cross. I surrender to you wholeheartedly. And if you truly do that, regardless of your age, if you truly do that, from your heart like that, right now, God will forgive your sins. And you become a citizen of his kingdom forever. What about those of us here who are already trusting Jesus as our king? What does this passage demand from us? What does the birth of Jesus, Jesus coming as our king mean for us now? I think just two things. 
First of all, this passage is calling you to thank Jesus for being your king. The first response must always be thankfulness. You see, like these wise men, you, these wise men from the east, that we were also far away from God. They came so far from the east because our sins were like in the east. We were like wallowing in sin. Far from God. Far from, literally far from the promises of God. But King Jesus, out of his love for you, he sought you out. He took the initiative, didn't he? He did not ask you to, to, to ask him into his life first. He did not ask you to pass a certain amount of law so that you could qualify. He didn't say, try, just try harder and I'll meet you this way if you meet me that way. No. Jesus knew that even your best efforts are worthless before God. He knew that they are like filthy rags. Jesus knew that you and I cannot commend ourselves to him. In fact, our situation was worse than that. It's not just that we were indifferent like these religious leaders. We were hostile like Herod. We wanted nothing really in our nature, in our nature. Anything to do with him. But our Lord Jesus still came, didn't he? He came in that one-way love pursuit of his. He convinced you of your sin. He made you repent. He made you receive his mercy. And you know, beloved, sometimes we forget this. We forget that we are only in the kingdom of God because he perseveres with us. I have often said that what we call the perseverance of the saints is really the perseverance of God with us. Friends, think of how many times you have let God down just this past week. Think of how many different ways you reject Him. Think of how you still even go back to the spiritual vomit of sin in so many ways. You're going to hear the sermon today that Jesus is King. You heard one last week, but you're still going to let him down. And yet Jesus never revokes your citizenship in heaven. You know, I heard this past week that the government is working on secret plans to make it easier to revoke citizenship for people they regard as a threat to society. That's what's happening at the moment. doesn't matter if you're born here or you can trace your ancestors further back. If they regard you as a threat, they're working on plans to make it easier to revoke citizenship. This isn't really about immigration, actually. It's just if they believe you're a threat, there are plans to make it easier to revoke citizenship of people. That's worldly governments. In Jesus, you have no such worries. Once you are in the kingdom, you're in. Amen, indeed, isn't it, sister? Amen. In Jesus, you have no worry that one day Jesus will change his mind about you. That he will somehow revoke your citizenship in heaven. No. Beloved, there is no kingdom like the kingdom of God. And there is no king like King Jesus. He is so full of grace, full of love. 
is so lovingly committed to us whom he has purchased by his blood. And so this Christmas, thank Jesus for this. And the best way for you and I to thank Jesus is to do what? Is to do what the wise men have done. Is to lay down before Jesus every treasure. What in your life do you currently treasure so much that you tremble to even surrender that to Jesus? Well, follow the wise men. It could be anything. It could be family, you know. We have fears of losing our loved ones. We have fears of all of these things. Well, bring those fears before Jesus. Surrender them to him. Say, Jesus, you are my king. And I sur- whatever you decide in my life, you are my king. Give Jesus the full control of it. So thank him by surrendering everything. The other way to thank Jesus is to tell someone, at least one person, about King Jesus this Christmas. The wise man came all the way from the east to tell all Jerusalem about King Jesus. Is telling one person this Christmas about Jesus, about your king, too hard for you? Just one for your king. Is your king, would your king be asking too much? Well, if Jesus is your king, you see the logical, even doing more than telling one person about him. So, Thanksgiving, the final thing I just want to quickly say is we should let this story not only generate thanks in us to Jesus, but it should comfort us, isn't it? Let this story of the wise men comfort you that God, your king, will continue to look after you to the end as he did with the wise men. Now, I know my dear brother Joshua, I forgot to read verse 12, but it is very important, isn't it? Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That's very important. Because it's reminding us the wise men were kept safe by God to the end. And if you're truly trusting in Jesus, you have no reason to doubt. He will keep you to the end. God provides for the safety of his people to the end. He cares for us to the end. He ensures that nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can thwart his people in any way. God's purposes in your life will stand to the end. Now this does not mean that because Jesus is, is our king, no evil can come to us. Remember they brave danger, they brave suffering to see baby Jesus as it were. So they still suffered in different ways. But what the, the story is reminding us that because Jesus is king, we have no reason to fear. Because Jesus is king, even any bad things that happens to us, he, our king, allows it for our good. And so we say with Paul, all things work together for good for them that love him. And you and I, in these times we're living in, we need to keep this truth front and center of our lives, whatever situation you're currently facing. Whether it's in your private life or it's in the country, Jesus will keep you to the end. Let this truth comfort you. And may this truth of our Lord Jesus Christ move us to surrender and worship our King every day. Surely, our wonderful King deserves nothing less. 
It is an amazing privilege to have him, to have Jesus as our eternal king. To him alone be the glory forever and ever. Amen.